0: Welcome to World Shared Practices Forum. I'm Dr. Jeff Burns, Chief of Critical Care at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. We're very pleased to have with us today Dr. Pat Kohannock. Dr. Kolhanek is the Grenvick Professor of Critical Care Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. He's also the director of the SAFR Research Center at the University of Pittsburgh. And finally, he is the Editor-in-Chief of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine for the past 14 years. Pat, welcome.
1: It's a real pleasure to be here, really.
0: Pat, I suspect I speak for many of our colleagues around the world that uh, we sincerely appreciate your leadership. We had no journal 14 years ago. You were selected as editor-in-chief. You've played that role for 14 years, and uh, you've helped unite our field and advance the field uh, by making the journal possible and growing it. What is the state of pediatric critical care medicine today? What, What should colleagues around the world know about the journal?
1: Thanks a lot, Jeff. Uh, it's been a great honor to be the Editor-in-Chief of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. As you mentioned, it's our 14th year now, and uh, time really flies. Uh, as you know, we're the journal of both the Society of Critical Care Medicine and the World Federation, and uh, we publish nine issues a year. and. Uh, uh, in, in another year and a half, we're going to be expanding to 12. Uh, I think some of the highlights of where we've been, uh, for those of you who followed, we've had a, a really remarkably good impact factor ranging from about, say, 2.3 to 3.1, which is really solid. Uh, uh, currently we're 26th out of 121 pediatric journals. and. Uh, Uh, We also have the fourth highest immediacy index, and that's just a reflection of rapid citation in the same year of publication. And uh, that's really pretty incredible, the fourth out of 121 journals. Uh, A couple other highlights were growing in submission, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. The growth of PCCM for a 14-year-old journal is amazing. Uh, This year, we're increasing to over 600 submissions. and Uh, We also have uh, worked very hard to provide prompt review of papers, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And one of the biggest challenges we face is the uh, the very low acceptance rate. Uh, We have so many submissions and limited space, uh, and that has obviously forced us to be highly selective. It's actually a, a very healthy sign for a journal. but. It makes me somewhat of the bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, 10 years ago, we probably had an acceptance rate of something on the order of 35 to 40 percent, and uh, everyone loved me. But it's worth the price, and I think it's really a reflection of uh, the quality of the journal, and that the journal, if you get something into it, it's a pretty prestigious thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that. Uh, that our impact factor, you know, it, to get as high of an impact factor as 3.1 for a journal as young as we are. I mean, look at things like the Journal of Pediatrics, which has been around for decades, has an impact factor of four. And the Journal of Pediatric Research has an impact factor of only 2.6. So I say we're up there with the big boys. And uh, it's, it's a really, I think it's a really impressive thing. Uh, and uh, I think it meant you could say, wow, you've done such a great job on it. But I I really think the field was just ready for the journal. It was overdue. And uh, it's been kind of like a snowball going downhill. It's been an easy ride, to tell you the truth. Uh, I would also say something about uh, the growth of the journal from the standpoint of citations. And uh, you see on this slide here on the right, that we are on track for over 4,000 citations this year of articles published in PCCM. And that will be up from about 3,500 last year. You can see the growth of citations is really impressive. And it's a, it's a very healthy thing. And uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with it. And I think it really bodes well for the future of our journal. And uh, I think that uh, you will see that the impact factor is going to continue to steadily, uh, to steadily increase.
0: So, Pat, that's a very impressive statistic—four thousand citations. What are the most cited articles in PCCM? What should our colleagues know about that around the world?
1: That's a great question, and we have really kept very careful tabs on that. It's something that's really important to me. I I want to know. The articles that we're accepting are important. Uh, and certainly, citation is one of the metrics of that. And if you look, uh, you can see that uh, by far and away, the most uh, highly cited article published uh, since pediatric critical care medicine has been indexed is uh, uh, Bram goldstein and the guidelines uh, Uh, at the the sepsis definition article, and uh, that article has really been uh, highly cited. Uh, You could also see, though, the kind of categories of articles that have been interest to our readership, Uh, articles on hyperglycemia. We went through that period of of, uh, glucose regulation, and that was a very, very uh, popular topic. It's starting to wane a little bit. Uh, Sedation has always been an important topic, and I think we all struggle with that, and the journal uh, reflects that. Uh, The topics of cardiac intensive care, there's been a very dedicated uh, readership and uh, group of submitting authors on pediatric cardiac uh, intensive care, and I think it's been an extremely important uh, component of the journal. I'm really pleased with that, that section. It's very high quality. We've also had uh, you may uh, recognize a, a, a quite an uptick in interest in renal critical care. I think renal biomarkers and, uh, and related articles, uh, definitions of acute renal failure uh, have been some of our highly cited articles. And also ECMO and sepsis, uh, and certainly over the, uh, over the last 14 years, those, those would be some of our, our, our most highly cited articles. I, I would also say that. Uh, uh, the, that if you look at what is on the clock right now, what is on the clock for our impact factor? I, I can I'm I'm kind of proud to say that the article that is the most highly uh, cited is the pediatric head injury guidelines, and as you saw, a definitions document or guidelines documents often are very highly cited, uh, not always, but but often and. I think it's really important to recognize. I mentioned that citation is one uh, metric, but the other, impact, uh, other important metric is downloads. And they don't always go in parallel. And if I were to kind of explain to, the, uh, to our readership, uh, citations are coming from, obviously, authors. But the downloads, I think, are coming from people interested in the educational materials in the journal. Sometimes they're the same. The Head Injury Guidelines, for example, has been not only our most highly cited, but also our most highly downloaded. But when it comes to scientific articles, an article that really is influencing clinical practice is one that will be highly downloaded. And uh, something that may have specific scientific interest might be one that is more highly cited. And so we are very, very careful to keep an eye on both of those. And, and I have uh, since I began as, as editor. And I think that it does influence, uh, uh, to some extent, what gets published. And I think uh, uh, we are, we're very in tune to that.
0: Well, as you noted, the Brahm Goldstein article really kind of helped advance the field because that committee did the work of let's define sepsis so that we can more carefully study it. But I wonder if I could turn to our colleagues around the world and uh, we have a question to ask. Could you first identify your city and country location? And the question is this. Of the articles on the screen that we're showing now, which have been the most influential in your clinical practice? Uh, Really, as uh, Dr. Kahanek just said, which have you downloaded the most frequently to guide clinical practice in your pediatric intensive care unit. So Pat um, you know the growth you've described very well uh, these new sections if you had to grow a section of the journal
1: uh, which would you grow next? Well I think it's a it's a really great question Jeff and uh... I think that uh, you can see on the slide here the the breadth of the type of uh, articles that we publish. But to try to specifically answer the question, really, I let the field grow the journal. I don't think that it's it's very wise, actually, to try to push the journal in a a certain direction. Uh, The field is studying what they think is important. And they're submitting those articles. And people have things like funding and, and, uh, and, and other support. And there are questions they really need to answer. So the field drives the spectrum of, of papers. And I've really tried to, uh, I wouldn't say keep my hands completely off, but, but let the field uh, guide uh, the, the, the content of the journal. I wouldn't say completely. I would say that also the reviewers do an important job in that. And they very commonly will say, wow, this is really novel. Or we need more publications on this. There may be a publication where well, there's been one similar publication. But they will say, this really validates that, uh, that concept. So I really let the readership, and, uh, the, the, the author, submitting authors and the reviewers help guide uh, the direction of the journal.
0: Well, that's interesting. I, I don't think I would have thought of it that way. And I guess I'm relieved to hear that that's the way you view uh, how, to, how the journal needs to grow. But one of the questions that I've always wanted to ask, and I suspect colleagues around the world, uh, relates to review articles. What proportion of the review articles that we read in the journal are uh, submitted because you've designated a subject matter expert to submit it? And what proportion are unsolicited
1: no, that's another great question, and I, I think the answer to it is very similar to the prior answer, and that is, in 14 years as the editor of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, I bet there are less than five articles that were actually solicited by me, and, uh, uh, and that includes all reviews. Uh, the reviews have been submitted by the, uh, the, the authors and our, the people in our field. and. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's really important because people are going to write on what they are experts on and what they want, what they know a lot about, and what they believe is important. And so uh, I think it's just another example of how I really let the field come to the journal. Uh, I think it's an important, it's, it's my personal strategy. I, I don't want to be judge and jury. I don't want to, I, I, I think our... Our readership and our, our submitting authors are phenomenal. And uh, I really think they've done a good job in terms of uh, directing the content of the journal. So interesting. The uh, interests and
0: motivations of the readership uh, in our, our society are really guiding uh, the journal, I, I guess, far more than I realized. Um, do you have any data on uh, what proportion, roughly, of the authorship comes from? Uh, Physicians in training, uh, residents or fellows around the world, as opposed to uh, faculty members who are established.
1: Boy, that's a great question, and I don't have an answer to that. You know, uh, we have followed very carefully uh, issues such as uh, country of origin of the manuscripts, uh, North American versus uh, uh, non-North American articles. We've uh we've we've kept track of a number of metrics it's it's quite difficult to keep track of something like is it a trainee that is submitting Uh, you don't always get that kind of identifying information for instance Uh, so it's not a number it's not a a parameter that i have a number on so pat you mentioned earlier that
0: uh, the submissions are growing can you tell us about that
1: yeah uh, that's it's, it's really a remarkable thing. You know, usually in a 14-year journal that's been around for 14 years, you might get a, a couple of percent, 5% increase in submissions. This year has been just off the charts. Last year we had, as you can see on, on the slide here, last year we had uh, 502 submissions. And this year we are on pace for about 615 submissions. Uh, that's an amazing amount of growth. It's a daunting task, to tell you the truth. Uh, you kind of plan your schedule in your life, expecting a certain level of uh, uh, of effort. It, it's been amazing, though, and I must say that the reviewers have come through. I've been I've been, uh, you know, obviously having to assign uh, a, a much larger number of papers. Uh, and the reviewers have also come through. So this is a phenomenal thing. So can I ask you about this? I'm, I've always been curious
0: about this. Do you personally read, fully read each of these six hundred and fifteen submissions, and do you select the reviewers, or
1: do you have a staff that does that? How does this work? It's a great question. I that would not be humanly possible to read all six hundred submissions. I. I do though, I have selected in 14 years every reviewer of every manuscript other than those that I've been an author on and other uh, uh, editors are assigned uh, to take over those manuscripts uh, uh, so there isn't a conflict, but every other manuscript I have assigned every single reviewer. Uh, I do read every single comment from every reviewer, both the personal comments to me and the comments to the authors. And occasionally I edit them. Uh, I, I really try to keep it to be not personal and I also try to keep it as positive as possible. But I, but I have, I have personally assigned every manuscript. I think it's really important. I think to have a fair uh, review and to have a, a stable bar uh, for what gets accepted, I think it's really important.
0: Well, that's a tribute to you because I understand that that's not the case at every journal that the editor necessarily assigns the reviewers. So the fact that you're doing that is, um, is real quality assurance
1: for the field. You no, know, I think all of us that review a lot of papers know that there's a lot of trolling for reviewers now. You can be asked to review papers that you don't even feel qualified to review. And uh, I, I really have personally selected the reviewers of every paper. I think it's made a big, has had a big effect. I really do. I think it's been a very important thing. Um, I also wanted to, to, to mention a little bit, uh, you saw the growth of submissions. Uh, one of the things I'm always asked is, well, where are they coming from? And uh, it has been really surprising that over the years, how stable the submission, percentage from uh, the, the U.S. versus international has been, it has been about 50-50 uh, throughout my 14 years. And I think it was just basically a, a guess in the beginning, but I can say that basically every day that I have served as, in the, as the editor, I have 50% editorial board members from the U.S. and 50% internationally. And I've been very meticulous about Replacing people and rotating people, always an international or a US uh, reviewer. And uh, I think that's been really important, too, because uh, the perspective on some of the papers, a Third World paper, for instance, it's really important to have the right reviewers uh, review those papers. And uh, you can see, if you look at the breakdown, uh, uh, the, the international countries contributing articles it varies some, there's some flux in that, but what you see here is, is very typical for, for a given year. And uh, there, there are uh, uh, many countries that will have only say one submission from also, there's a, uh, there's a number of countries. But I think the, the bottom line is we're an extremely international journal. We've been that from the word go and uh, I also wanted to mention something that I think many people don't know and that was uh, the role of Jeff Barker. Uh, Jeff Barker, you know, the chief at uh, Toronto Sick Kids, uh, uh, 14 or or so years ago when I first began, I I met with him. He was one of the original people involved in the uh, the development of the journal, uh, the concept of it, and uh, he was incredibly helpful at guiding me in, uh, in in identifying who around the globe were the the, the many of the uh, the, the uh, exceptional intensivists and uh, uh, and good reviewers and it was really an important thing. Uh, I I would never take credit. Uh, I I didn't know many of the uh, the people and I must say also that. They embraced the journal, and they embraced me remarkably. I am very thankful to them for that. Uh, And I think it was critical to the success of the journal. And so I think everyone in our field owes Jeff uh, a a special gratitude. And I I think many people don't know that.
0: So Pat, as um, someone who has submitted articles to the journal, uh, I know there are probably many colleagues around the world who are curious, how does the process work? How many days does it take? What are you looking for?
1: Well, you know, in the field of medical publishing, the metric that everyone follows is time to first disposition. That is really a key. If a paper is going to be rejected, you'd like to know as promptly as possible. If a paper has a chance, you you want to know. Well, it 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 it's on the border, but I'm I'm uh, you know it's on the borderline, but I'm really willing to take a chance and 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 resubmit and revise. So. Time to first dispo is really the key uh, number. And as you can see on this graph here, I had a little bit of a learning curve with that. But for now, uh, really since 2007, we've had a really Excellent time to first dispo around 25 to 26 days. It's been very consistent. You can see in the year 2009, it was a remarkable 15. I must have been on caffeine that year. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's a really good number. I think it's it's better than a lot of journals, and I think it's a reflection of uh, our reviewers and their commitment to getting you a prompt review. Uh, and uh, and because. Sure, my my role in that is getting, the, getting those reviews and then my following through, but I can't generate these kind of numbers unless our, our reviewers are coming through and they've been great. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Jeff, one of the biggest challenges I have right now is that with submissions going up uh, and pages not going up for another year and a half uh, is uh, the the acceptance rate of manuscript has been steadily falling, and uh, this is this is something that, uh, although it's difficult to get a rejection letter, and uh, it, it's something that oftentimes pains me greatly, it really is a sign of quality. And you can see here on this slide that uh, the acceptance rate for articles in PCCM has just been steadily decreasing, and uh, last year, we were at 19%, and currently we're at 19%. And to be quite honest, I think given the number of submissions, we're going to ultimately have to be a little bit lower than that even. That's a remarkable number. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a number lower than many of the, uh, uh, the, some of the top pediatric journals I know. And, uh, and so I, I guess I would just say that uh, it, it, it is painful but it is important. And I hope that our readership and our submitting authors both realize that uh, it's a really, really good thing, uh, and uh, that uh, we, 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 we're we suffering a little bit with it. But uh, I think that overall, it, it's a healthy sign for our field.
0: And I think uh, I think most of our colleagues would acknowledge that that represents good growth. But I I have to ask you, as someone who has both uh, been at the receiving end of uh, rejections, and um, you know, sometimes you can receive a a very terse review and and you're frustrated what happened there, and sometimes you can get a review that you feel so thoughtful. And I also have to ask you, as a reviewer for you, what makes
1: a good review? What makes a good review? I think that one of the things that I've done to try to uh, get good reviews, good reviews are something that if your paper is rejected or if your paper is, is ultimately accepted, the review should make your paper better. Uh, you should learn something from your review. It should be a collegial review. Uh, and uh, it can be tough, but it, it should be fair. And I think one of the ways that I have really tried to optimize the review, and you're never perfect, but I really believe we've done an excellent job at this. It's something I've put a personal touch on. And that is to involve the editorial board as much as possible. And you can see, I've graphed out here uh, last year, 54% of the reviews of articles submitted to PCCM were done by the editorial board. That is an extremely high number for a journal of our age. I'm extremely grateful that the SCCM and the World Federation has allowed me to have a large editorial board, and I think it's really important because the editorial board uh, allows me to have a very stable uh, bar for acceptance. It also, I, I know uh, that the quality of the review is going to be, uh, you know, at a certain level. Now, what I generally do, and maybe uh, the the submitting authors and the readership don't know this, in almost every paper that I've ever assigned in PCCM, there's at least one editorial board member that is a reviewer. Uh, Sometimes there are two or three, but there's almost always at least one, so that that bar is set and I know when I get a review back. Because I know everyone's metric and everyone's a little bit different, but I I do know them. But I do also try to bring on some new reviewers. And so maybe the second reviewer or a third reviewer uh, might be uh, a reviewer that is an ad hoc reviewer that many ad hoc reviewers have done a lot of reviews, but some haven't. I can also tell you that I, have pers- I get a lot of recommendations of, uh, hey, this person would be a great reviewer. Could you add them to your list? I can tell you that when I assign an article, I have personally checked on PubMed to see that that person really has published in the area. I, I respect everyone's recommendations, but I want our reviewers to really be experts. And that is something that I absolutely have done in every case. And it takes some effort, mm-hmm. but I really think it's worthwhile. And so those are the kind of things that I've done to try to uh, to make the review process as positive and as helpful as possible. Well, this is
0: very reassuring. I've never heard you describe it in this level of detail. Uh, but Pat, the other issue related to reviews is this, and I'd be curious to hear what you have to say. There are some journals, as you know, and there indeed there are some reviewers who believe it's important to sign their name, to identify who they are in the review. And yet there's also, it seems to me, a strong argument to be made for an anonymous review, which allows hopefully for candor that's appropriate and unbiased. How do you fall on this
1: issue? Well, that's a- that is a really excellent question and i i uh, have consistently used anonymous review obviously and i, I really really believe the candor as you put it isn't a really important element it's it's kind of funny i chuckle that there are reviewers that identify themselves and in every case i've removed their name i personally edit each of the reviews uh, i can tell you that in 14 years, I've never had a reviewer identify themselves in a review that they were recommending reject. Mm-hmm. So they've only done it when they're recommending uh, uh, accept or on track for acceptance. So uh, I think some journals can make uh, you know, uh, reviews that the, uh, the, uh, uh, the reviewers identified work. I think we're we're very facile and experienced at at uh, anonymous review, and so that's what we've been going with.
0: Interesting, uh, interesting to hear that uh, it's only happened uh, in acceptance, and not in a rejection. It's true. So, Pat, uh, now the question arises: where is the where is the journal going? And of course, the, as you very eloquently said, the journal reflects the field. Where do you see the journal
1: and the field going? Uh, I think. Uh, That's a fantastic question and uh, I I thought a little bit about how to answer it and I I put together a few slides and I, I categorized them into two areas. One is how we can see some really interesting things through the eyes of the journal and how that tells us where the journal is going and also a little bit about some of the nuts and bolts questions that I very commonly get about where the journal is going. Um, One of the things that I think uh, was really eye-opening to me and telling me kind of where the field is going, uh, I I showed previously this slide of where the articles are coming from. And uh, uh, you wouldn't know this unless you were the editor, But as you know, the the last World Congress was in Turkey. And uh, in general, I've received two two or three, maybe four, uh, maybe in an exceptional year, say five papers in a year from Turkey. And as a reflection of the World Congress for the last two years now, I've received 16 papers a year from Turkey. And Mm -hmm. so uh, it's kind of invisible information, but it certainly tells you that one, it tells you that the, the WIFPIC Congress really has an amazing local influence, which I, I find phenomenal. I really think that's that's a totally cool thing, and the WIFPIC should be very pleased with that. Uh, and those of you who take the time and energy and all the effort to host it, it has, a I think, a very powerful, positive effect uh, that you might not have even known about. But I think the other thing that reflects is kind of the the globalization, the continued globalization of of our field, and uh, that, that uh, I, I don't necessarily expect that to trail off, and so you see the emergence of of, of new areas uh, internationally in terms of, of greater contributions. So that's one example. Uh, Another example, uh, you know, uh, a few weeks ago I had the great honor of being one of the speakers uh, at the retirement of Frank Shan and uh, a really important person in our field and uh, and it was in Melbourne, Australia, a fantastic place and uh, I I went down there and they had a meet the editor session uh, and uh, uh, it was really, really exciting, there was an excellent crowd, there was a buzz, there were great questions, there were uh, several editors of local uh, journals in Australia and New Zealand, and I was really the uh, uh, representative of of an international journal, and uh, uh, I I was really impressed. I was really impressed with uh, the questions and with the uh, the energy level. And and I looked and I said to myself, wow, look at the pediatric critical care medicine editorial board. We've got a senior editor. We've got multiple associate editors. We've got section editors uh, from Australia. And uh, there's a remarkable presence. I myself don't sit down and, and necessarily map this out any given day. And I just looked and said, This really tells you kind of also where the journal is going. Another example of the international uh, uh, powers that there are out there. And I think uh, there's some great things going on down under, many multicenter trials, and it's really exciting to see participation in these worldwide trials. And so I think that tells us a lot also about where our journal is going. Uh, uh, Another uh, thing that tells us a lot about where the journal is going are if you'd like to think of some of the innovations uh, in PCCM and probably the one that's been the most important and that's telling us the most uh, uh, are are, are the the subspecialty topics. And uh, we also have uh, a, a number of other things that I think tell us where the journal is going. Podcasting. Uh, you know, the young guys out there on their train ride into work or whatever are, are listening to podcasts. And we've done quite a number of... Po- I personally select every article that I send to the Society of Critical Care Medicine and Margaret Parker, who has done all the podcasts. And uh, I think uh, we have abstract translation into multiple languages, and I think there's another reflection of where the journal is going uh, and I personally select every one of the abstracts to be translated. So these types of things, I think, uh, kind of uh, give you an idea of some of the directions the journal is going. Uh, The the subspecialty topics, I think in particular, coming back to those, are are really an important reflection of where we're going. Uh, The the subspecialty topics are, are something that are are really important because the sophistication of pediatric critical care is is really uh, it's it's on a, a a remarkable trajectory. I would say uh, we all know things like quality and safety. the The mortality rates are vanishingly small. The uh, the the, 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 the complexity of the cases, the technology that's being applied is is certainly growing faster than my mind. And I think that I would say that uh, having those specialty sections and having them grow has been a really important thing for the journal. uh, It's been a way also to involve more mind power, people with very special expertise to help uh, as associate editors of those sections. And I think that it's pretty clear that's an important direction for the future of the journal. I wonder if we could turn now and ask our colleagues
0: around the world a question. And could you first please state your city and uh, country location? And the question is this. If you were going to recommend another subtopic specialty area for Dr. Kohanik, which topic would it be in? So we're back now with Dr. Gohanek. Pat, um,
1: so what subtopic uh, do you think should be next in the journal? Uh, Jeff, that's a really great question. And, and I think that the, the uh, uh, Open Pediatrics uh, 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 participants would be really interested to know that of all the subtopics that PCCM currently has, I didn't pick any of them. They actually were recommended to me by editorial board members, or uh, people at medical conferences, some of our, our meetings, uh, uh, in emails, and uh, uh, you know uh, I I I I go with the flow. I guess you would say I I uh, I really think that there are some smart people out there in our field, and I listen. And uh, I think, there for example, Rich perilli walked up to me at the editorial board meeting uh, one year and said, we need a section on quality and safety. And I said, I think you're right. Uh, How would you like to be the section editor of quality and safety? And you know, I think that we all realize that each of these sections has its own language basically now, uh, cardiac intensive care, quality and safety, extracorporeal support. Uh, you know. And so uh, I think it, it's a little bit of a plea to uh, our, our audience that make suggestions, and many of them actually come to fruition. And uh, you may also not uh, uh, realize that some of these innovations have gone online in a couple of months. And so things can change really quickly in the journal. And I'm really excited when they happen. Very commonly, I'll write a foreword about it, uh, talk a little bit about why uh, the decision was made to do this, uh, talk about, you know, uh, for instance, there may be uh, 10 articles on quality and safety over the last year, and we never categorized them that way. And I look back and I say, wow, we are ready for this for example. And so I I think uh, my plea to you is to communicate, to send us your ideas. And, uh, you know, we might not take all of them, but you might be surprised that you see your section or your idea in PCCM.
0: I think one of the questions I'm wondering, and I suspect colleagues around the world, is the journal going to go digital? Um, And it, it is digital, but is it really going to move away from paper fast?
1: Uh, It's a great question. It's one of the most commonly asked questions uh, that I get. And uh, uh, the answer to it is that right now, it's not. And uh, I have the good fortune to be able to each year attend the Lippincott Williams and Wilkins uh, Walters Kluwer Editors Conference. It's a really uh, uh, valuable uh, exposure to Hundreds of journals uh, and what's happening in the medical publishing field and it's pretty clear for the the vast majority of journals There still is a a, a need for paper Uh, One example would be advertising advertisers have not completely moved over to electronic only Uh, They're not completely comfortable with it yet. There is some But there's still an interest in paper. And there are still many people who like the paper version in their hand. Uh, Ultimately, though, if you look at the young people, it's pretty clear that eventually we will go to electronic only or paperless. And uh, uh, I can't tell you how many years it will be uh, until we get there, but ultimately, I think we will. Uh,
0: So Pat, uh, last question that I, I suspect many people who are watching are wondering. And you know, the good news is the journal can only accept you know, one out of five papers. Uh, and that, of course, leads to the question of what else should we be reading? So I wonder if I could ask the editor-in-chief of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, what else should we be reading?
1: Well, Jeff, that's a really interesting question. I'm kind of an unusual person to ask that to, but maybe not. Uh, you know, my interest personally is in neurocritical care, and so my bent is toward neurojournals. Uh, I think that many of the people in our field do have an area of special interest and they tend to read the journals uh, that are related to that. Uh, I think that uh, we we all must be mindful to, to see the big hits, New England Journal, JAMA, the, the, the articles that impact our whole field and, and rise... To the uh, beyond a specialty journal, so I think it's really important to keep your eye on that. Uh, and I also think that if critical care articles are uh, pediatric critical care articles are able to get into general pediatric journals such as Pediatrics or the Journal of Pediatrics, that often and others that often means they they really have some general appeal. And I. I as much as I love pediatric critical care medicine, I think it's important to recognize those could have an important impact. I'd like to also say, though, that from what I've seen in the last two days, I think the readership should pay more attention to open pediatrics.
0: (laughs) Well, Pat, um, it's very nice of you to say that, but uh, it's been wonderful to have you here with us today. Um, I know I speak for colleagues around the world when I say thank you for 14 years of your leadership of the journal, and
1: uh, we look forward to many more years. Well, Jeff, it's really been a pleasure, and I I hope to be able to uh, continue, and I will promise to do the best job I possibly can.
0: This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.